Blog Talk Radio. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Blaze and Riot, Thursday, June 2nd at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Today on the show from Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark on Broadway, we got the woman who plays Arachne, TV Carpio, as well as filmmaker Nick Gaglia. Here we go. Right. 
Maybe it's just from the Who knows? The, um, the, the balloon boy and his family were on the Today Show after that, and they're trying to have a conversation with, like, Matt Lauer or something, and the boy just kept on vomiting all over the place. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. No, but that's crazy. I was like, does he, do he have some bad clams at Sardi's? Like, what happened? <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, and what Meredith Vieira was like, okay, you obviously have to take care of your child. Uh, it was so awkward. Um, okay. So what I'm getting from both of you is that neither of you really care about anything, any moral standards with this thing. You want this guy to be able to benefit from his his uh, mishap. Uh, benefit from it. Um, hmm. I mean, people have done worse things. I don't know. Okay. I tend Let's to move on. I hear you. Uh, next up, let's talk about this. Um, my Plate, uh, this my plate. There's a uh, where, uh, the government is trying to dismantle the food pyramid uh, and create a food plate picture in hopes that uh, people will be less fat. What do you make of this, Jonathan Demar? Well, this is very interesting because it depends on how they do it. Um, I mean, if they cut things down too simply, then I think people are going to start wondering. Well. Is this okay or this is okay? Because, as you know, things, you know, have gone so unhealthy over the past, you know, few years. I mean, <laughs> look at all, you know, we, we have Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution on television. It says something about this country. So I think it's sort of a big mistake. So maybe it will simplify things. Who knows? Okay. And Ashley? I mean, I don't understand why people are so stupid. Like, Twinkies are bad for you. Broccoli is good for you. What are we still yeah. talking about? Like, it's it's bizarre. We're really fat people. Like, and I kind of feel like I'm like, oh, you could even get biblical with it. Like, I bet Goliath wasn't even a giant. He was an American, like a really fat American. And we look huge compared to the rest of the country because we're like, oh, this plate of lasagna that's bigger than my forearm is clearly an appropriate portion. Is that why so many intense right-wing Christians are so fat? Is because of that whole Goliath story? Oh, no, I wasn't saying that. I wasn't saying that. Um, <laughs> um, okay, no, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Uh, okay, let's move. Let's, good time to move on. Um, I, uh, how about this? Oh, my Anthony gosh, I'm a Wiener. horrible panel member. No, no, no. Anthony, Anthony Weiner uh, allegedly sent out this photo of his, uh, him and his boxers to someone on Twitter. Uh, do, do you believe this? Uh, do you believe that it was actually him, Ashley Elsmore? No, I think it was Charlie Sheen. <laughs> okay. Oh, and what about you, Jonathan Demar? Well, he didn't send it out. Apparently, it was a practical joke. But I think when you have a name like Anthony Weiner. You know, and it's a politician, it's not going to be so good. I mean, I, you know, he was on CNN, I think, the other day saying that he didn't do any. He thought it was the most ridiculous thing. But, you know, he made a joke about it saying, sort of, well, you know, my name's Anthony Weiner, so <laughs> it kind of comes with the territory. Well, I yeah, think our politicians should be on Twitter. Really? Yeah, I, I think somebody actually went to his account, and I think he's talking with uh, – lawyers trying to get the whole thing settled because 
quite frankly, it's kind of ridiculous. And uh... But what about when politicians like, uh, say, Cory Booker used Twitter to figure out who was uh, trapped in the snow this past winter and went around shoveling them out himself? Isn't that a good use for a politician of Twitter, Ashley? Now, that's a great use. That's a great but, use. But I just find it hard to believe, like, the CIA... And these people that are trained to find people in disasters can't figure it out, but Twitter figures it out? Like, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, I personally, I tweet about, you know, Mentos, the fresh maker, and things like that. Like, I don't, I don't tweet about foreign policy. <laughs> I saw your tweet about Mentos, and then I was reminded of that. Remember that Foo Fighters video? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And my yeah, Twitter okay. account won't pull up. It's very sad. Well, it's probably because Charlie Sheen hacked into it. Oh, it's so true. Charlie? <laughs> um, Charlie Sheen, okay. what is going on, man? <laughs> so, Jonathan Damar, this whole uh, Anthony Weiner thing, do you know what uh, Donald Trump said that the last time they were on Piers Morgan together, that he felt that uh, – Anthony Weiner was unstable because of the way he treated Mr. Trump. Uh, uh, yeah, you know I heard that, that one. You know how that makes me feel, Jonathan Damar? Uh, uh, a certain, well, a certain way. Are Donald Trump, you are not allowed to call anybody else unstable. That time that the two here, of them were on Piers Morgan together, um, thank you, that time that they were together on Piers Morgan, what, what Wiener said to Trump was, you'll be out of the race soon enough, Donald, out of the presidential race. And Donald Trump got offended by that, but Anthony Wiener was just being realistic and knew that it was just this huge publicity stunt. Uh, Donald Trump is clearly unstable as he's using his huge national, international platform with one of the most successful shows on TV uh, to continue a purely racist agenda of people all the way on the right who are saying that Obama is not from this country. Uh, have they ever questioned any other president? Never questioned Clinton, Carter, Bush, Reagan. Why would they question this one? There can be no, no other reason other than the color of his skin. Same thing with the whole Muslim thing. So, Donald Trump, you've made me feel a certain way. Uh, and Ashley Austin Morris, are you about to work with his ex-wife, Marla Maple? No, she is in the next cast. Oh, because I was going to ask you to ask ask her, you know, how could you possibly marry someone like that? No, I would have, but she's in the next cast. If I see her in crossover, I, I will, that will be the first thing out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Jonathan Demar, what, what do you uh, what do you make of Donald Trump? Oh, he's just crazy. I mean, the whole Bertha thing was absurd, but I kind of expected him to drop out of the race. You know, he wasn't really surprised. I was having lunch with somebody today, um, who was my acting teacher for so many years, and we were talking about this. And I remember saying, I, what I thought was so funny is the fact that he himself was saying, "You're really going to be surprised by my decision." We're not so surprised that he didn't run because I, he's pretty incapable of, you know, becoming president, period. Yeah. Well, Trump was making the point that it has to be Anthony Weiner in the picture uh, because Anthony Weiner went on Wolf, uh, 
Wolf Blitzer, and he said uh, he would not deny that it was him in the picture. Uh, why do you think he wouldn't deny it? Uh, honestly, I don't know. And what about you, Ashley Elsenworth? I want to stop thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, he wouldn't deny it. Uh, well, I don't know. It probably is him, but I just don't think he tweeted it. Right. Who in their right mind would do that? I mean, on such a public forum. I think somebody it's has probably to do that. Yeah, Charlie Sheen. I purposely didn't look at the picture because I don't want things like that in my mind. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't want Wiener's Wiener on your mind? Exactly. Uh, uh, uh. Um, okay, so, uh, panel, thank you so much. Uh, uh, go see Ashley in Love, Lost, and What I Wore. And, uh, Jonathan, I will see you soon, buddy. All right. Thank you. See you soon. Have a great day, guys. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for the panel. Um, and uh, you, uh, while we're waiting for TV, Carpio, um, I'm going to break you guys off with a, uh, our last week's guest, uh, Bowling for Soup, with a song called Girls in America.
That was Bowling for Soup with Girls in America. Check out last Thursday's episode with Jarrett Reddick from Bowling for Soup, the lead singer, uh, and also Tony nominee uh, currently for her role in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, acting alongside Daniel Radcliffe. Right now, Tammy Blanchard. Uh, that was a really fun episode, and I hope you guys get to check it out. Also, make sure to check out last night's episode. Uh, reminder, we'll be right back with uh, TV Carpio. Um, check out last night's episode with Phil Lobby and uh, Tom Getter Slack. Um, and uh, while we while we wait for our guests to call in, um, TV Carpio, let me just uh, break you off with a little uh, little concert review. Last week, I went to see um, my uh, one of my favorite bands, Panic at the Disco, at Terminal Five with my good friend Nikki Katufers, who's on my show a few times. I believe three times, maybe two, I can't remember. Um, but she uh, she and I went to see Panic! the Disco along with the band Fun and Foxy Shazam. Uh, Foxy was insane, and I loved that. Uh, and that guy, we Nikki and I had seen Foxy Shazam before, and that, the guy, the lead singer, Foxy, he drank um, the sweat out of his shoe. It was disgusting. Uh, this time, they didn't get so disgusting, but they did get weirder. Um, and uh, then the band Fun came out. And, uh, you know, they were, they, were, uh, they were not so good. Not so good. Um, but they were okay. But a lot of people knew them. I had no idea who they were. So it's Fun with a period after it. Or as my friend Mac McAllister says, full stop. And then there's um, Panic at the Disco with an exclamation point after the panic. So you have a, a bunch of bands with a bunch of different punctuation marks. Fun, full stop, panic, exclamation point, at the disco. Um, so it, it should have been called, I saw someone on Twitter <laughs> said it should have been like uh, shortened to fun dot panic, exclamation point, or something like that. Um, and then uh, panic came out. Brandon Yuri uh, is so sexy. My biggest crush is Zach Morris. Uh, every girl in their late 20s and and gay boys should know what I'm talking about there. Holla back to Zach. Um, but uh, newer crush, Brandon Urie from Panic! at the Disco. Uh, he came out. They rocked it. Um, they never sound quite perfect live, but I think that's part of the, uh, the charm of the show. They were certainly much better than fun and gave a pretty rowdy performance. Uh, and it was, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Aside from the band fun, that was not that fun. Uh, but apparently Brandon had broken his toe earlier that day, and he came out that night. He was like, I broke my toe, but I don't give a fuck. And he kept on screaming all night, like, <laughs> like I was at a Black Sabbath concert. Um, but the crowd really dug it. It was a whole lot of fun. And uh, uh, what did they They opened with their new song, Ready to Go, um, which is so catchy. Uh, off their new album, Vices and Virtues, which is better than their previously album, Pretty Dot Odd Dot. Again, we go with the punctuation. Um, pretty Dot Odd Dot Fun Dot Panic Exclamation Point. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, so to, uh, today on the show, we have filmmaker Nick Gaglia. We also have TV Carpio. Um, in the meantime, we're trying to reach TV right now. Uh, be right back, and uh, I will break you off with the only Bowling for Soup song that I have not played off my switchboard yet, which is Friends, Chicks, Guitars. 
week behind us Rocking on the same spots again and again It feels like nothing will ever stop us No rain or sleet or snow Tonight there's not a cloud in the sky Molly crew outside on the stereo We're always on a mission to finally get it right The life of the party comes in front of Guitars and no beer. We've been in this band longer than most of our fans have been. We get started about six o'clock and we go till most of us just can't stand. It never ceases to amaze me. Just when things Which one do you, 
which one have you liked playing the most? Hmm, I don't know. I guess Arachne brought out a different part of me that I didn't know existed because in the old version I was sort of this villainous. So it's just I wasn't evil, but yeah, she turned out to be a villainous um um, his nemesis, and in, in this version, I am his guardian angel. So again, just in playing the Rackney part, it's gamut of you know opposites of, of playing opposites. I mean, it's to me, I see it as a great exercise as an actor. I just, it's really fun <laughs> to find different yeah. ways, you and know, to find what motivates people, what motivates you know the human condition in all of these characters. It's fun. Definitely. Um, and speaking of the two different versions, what's it been like adapting from the first version to the, the new version? Hmm. I mean, we haven't stopped. I mean, so it's just, it's just again, re, it's like reprogramming your mind and your body to what you've been doing for the past, I think it was only four or five months, four months for me. And then before that, I was doing this arrow for four or five months. So, it's just uh it's it's been like a play. It's been like not like Sleep No More, but have you seen have you heard about Sleep No More? The play here in New York. No, it's, in, it's like interactive theater. They're doing like like I'm not allowed to say. We're supposed to say the Scottish play because I'm here in the theater. It's bad luck if you say oh, the yeah. actual. <laughs> you better say the Scottish play. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, it was so funny. Someone I never knew that, but I was uh told when I was just describing Sleep No More the other day when I said the actual taboo word. I was made to go outside of my dressing room, spin around three times, spit over my left shoulder, and swear. <laughs> I swear I was allowed, wow. to, allowed back in my makeup, my to get makeup and hair. <laughs> That's, you know, I directed a show once in Syracuse, and I, uh, the, um, my assistant stage manager, he said that word, and I made him go do that, turn around three times, spit, and swear, and he was furious with me, and he thought I was, like, demeaning him, and he, but I was just worried about the show. Oh, it's so funny. I take it all in jest. I mean, I I don't I think, you know, those th- kind of things. I respect them. It's like it's like somebody else's religion. Like I'm not particularly religious. I grew up religious, but like I'm always respectful. I don't take it all so serious like someone's offended. Now I'm offended. You know, it's like I think it's fun. <laughs> it was fun to say I, I my swear word was T W A T and I screamed it out loud. <laughs> Everybody was It was just fun, you know. <laughs> That's I I love that swear word because I like I saying that too. instead of tweet on Twitter. I believe that we have someone uh, who wants to talk to you on the line. Let me just see here. Um, really? Uh, one, one, you're coming up with a weird number. Uh, what's your name? Where are you checking in from? Hello? The 111? Okay. Never mind. Uh, you lied. You lied. Be, <laughs> that might be the next guest. Uh, I'm not sure though. Okay, so uh, so were you TV? Were you a comic book geek and big fan of Spider-Man before you jumped on board? I was not a comic book geek. How I sort of relayed my character, Miss Arrow, was since it is, I thought, well, it's not your typical. People were saying, oh, well, they're not dressed like normal, um, you know, comic book geeks. But you know, we're not only suspending belief, but the fact is, these were kids that grew up in New York. And when I went to school, I went to PCS, but down the street was LaGuardia. And there were comic mm-hmm. book geeks and people who are really into anime and Comic-Con. So if you ever see my the costume that ended up being there, it was actually what I came to work dressed as. Like I had these cat ears and stuff. Cause I'd go to cosplay, which I really loved. I was into anime when I was a teenager. So I would go to these like comic, Comic-Con and stuff where there were Spider-Man people, but people were really obsessed and people really like dressing up. So that's what I was all into. 
So that's how I sort of based my character because she is following her through, at the time the geeks the, her her brother was one of the geeks and they were truly into Spider-Man and she was the one who came in and actually just had knowledge of it just she was very knowledgey like accurate about her knowledge and she was she's uh-huh. the one who comes up with the story of Arachne and all this kind of stuff so it's yeah it was it was her uh sort of her she guided the story but she wasn't like I had this whole backstory on her. I don't know if you're interested in that kind of stuff, but yeah, I, I personally Absolutely. wasn't. I wasn't. I knew that actually Arachne is not a made-up character in the comic books. I mean, there is an Arachne. She was the second Spider Woman, uh, and her her actual alias was or her name was uh, Julia Carpenter, which people don't know. They just thought that Julie Taymor made up this character Arachne, but it's actually in the <laughs> Spider-Man comics. Well, the story well, of Arachne that she made up. In this Spider-Man is made up, but the actual there is an Arachne in in Spider-Man. So story made up, character not made up. Correct. Got you. So you just mentioned that you went to PCS. Tappan's our associate producer, also went to the Professional Children's School. No uh, way. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was that uh, experience like? Um, I just um, uh, <laughs> I want you no know. <laughs> I was a nice skater, so that's why I, I, I wanted to – that school afforded me that schedule, and mm-hmm. that's about it. <laughs> about Would you say that that – did you know that you wanted to go into theater, though, while you no were No idea. No idea. I fell into it. Julie's the one – I mean, I got after Across the Universe, I, I had the opportunity to to audition for Rent because people, I guess, from seeing that film had a little bit of an idea that I could sing, so I just – sort of fell into it, but it's not like I trained for it. Um, I went to school for, um, to juxtapose that, I, I went to school for singing for two years, but only because I had a bad breakup with a boyfriend in which I couldn't speak for 10 months because I had nodules from crying at night pathetically for 10 months. Oh and so when I got out of that after the doctor was like, you know, you're going to have to have surgery if you don't get better. So I was like, oh, I can't, can't have surgery. So I went to, um, to I decided to enroll myself. It's like being able when you suddenly are able to not. I can't imagine not walking, but I can I can imagine that if you were able to suddenly walk, if you couldn't walk, you'd want to run. So I I wanted to learn how to sing, <laughs> just to learn how to sing because I wasn't able to talk. I've been carrying a pad notepad with me for ten months. So um, wow. that singing training, the tools that I got from um, the new school jazz program for two years is actually where I um, – the same tools that I use now. So it's pretty amazing. I can thank so that boyfriend now of... for being a total a-hole and dumping me for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a bastard, but uh, it all worked out. Exactly. So uh, you mentioned working with uh, Julie Taymor. Were you um, – you worked with her in Across the Universe and yeah. the first edition of Spider-Man. Were you sad to see her go? I was. I mean, I still am. I love Julie. She's. We all miss her. We definitely. We all miss her. She was a presence every single day. So yeah, I definitely miss her. What do you think about the last version? Did not work. That it had to be rehauled like this. Hmm. I mean, I was. I've sat. I sat in the audience and watched it a bunch of times. Well, not a bunch of times. A couple of times. I think number one reason for me was sound. Like they really did a whole thing on sound. I mean. People couldn't understand what we were saying. The music was muddled. It's just this theater is 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 a very is a notoriously hard theater with sound because it's so big. And then to do rock, to do intimate moments, it was just so. When we shut down, they actually did a whole like they basically the scenery took pre, uh, precedent over the sound in the first version. 
and so they had to redo part of the, the part of the technical shutdown was actually that and then um was dealing with sound and second was for a lot of people you know a lot of people complained about the clarity of the storyline um i think if you've seen any of julie's um previous work she doesn't always i think she she, she tells stories with images and for some people they don't get it you know so i think with this this one it's a lot more there's a lot more explanation i guess a lot more it's a much more linear story and uh i think they tried to make it quote more family oriented so yeah i think okay yeah cool um now there's a there's a big rumor going around that your show may perform at the tony awards is this true or false i don't even know i've been trying to find out myself <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to know in case I need to get a dress. <laughs> <laughs> and um, your cast album is coming out June 14th, the same day as your opening. What yes. what will what will people expect to hear? What are they going to expect to hear? Well, it I think it's a lot of music from actually Spider-Man 1.0 because it's a concept album. So, mm-hmm. um, like in this in this version, I guess the things that have changed are, you know, even in the stuff that's changed in songs, they've tried to make things as clear as possible so that people can, you know, really, I guess, grasp the story. And I guess the album that we're making is more in the, on, the li- on the long the lines of a concept album. So we're not concerned about story <laughs> in this one. It's about mood and, and music. So, mood I mean, and the, music, cool. Yeah, yeah. And were you on... Um, okay, so... TV, I know you gotta go in a couple minutes. Is your uh, is it true that your dad was an extra in one of the movies that you were in? He was. He followed Bono in as a merry prankster in across the universe. Pretty awesome. So did a merry prankster. So yeah. did you did you hang out with him and the other extras around the craft service table, or were you a big shot like Will Smith camping out in your trailer? Um, actually, I was uh, that day that they shot. I was. Um, they had several days, I guess, with that one. But that one, one of the days in particular, Bono invited me to meet him because I did not actually have any scenes with him. And um, they were. They had to show Bono a thirty-minute documentary of us actors because other than Evan Rachel Wood, we were all unknown actors. And they had to show him because he, you know, to get him to the film. And I guess when. This is what I was told when um, when when they got to me singing. He was like, "Who is that girl?" And they're like, "TV Carfield." He's like, "TV that that's her name." And they're like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, I want to meet her." And so they set up this meeting for me to meet him in the makeup trailer. And he was just saying, "Like, I don't know much about anything, but I do know about music and I do know about singing, and I know that you can really sing. So I want to help you out." So he's he's actually been a really big support, you know, just sort of looking out. And he introduced me to his record label. Um, for me, I decided that's probably not the route I'd like to go, but, you know, just being, having me involved in this again, he sang with me on 60 Minutes, you know, I was Mary Jane, he was Peter Parker, it's pretty cool, you know, he's just been an amazing support. So, that that's awesome that you've gotten to work with, with Bono, was that cool being on 60 Minutes with the, the U2 front man? No, I mean, it was just, you know, it's a normal day at work. Of course it was effing cool. I think I went I think I left that the that studio and I was just like bawling on the way home like Papa like my dad was still alive at the time and I was like I just got to sing with Bono, how cool is that? Like and had some someone had taken a picture, like a photo, like on my phone and I sent it to my dad and by the time I got to his office he had printed it up big and was showing everybody at work and was so proud and was like crying, saying like I'm so proud of you T you know, like it was just really sweet. <laughs> Aw. Yeah. So 
that name, TV, that's a pretty cool name. I, I was thinking of changing <laughs> my name to Radio. No good? <laughs> I have no idea why my parents call me TV. I mean, TV came before Teresa Victoria. I, to this, I don't know. My dad was a child of the 60s, total hippie type, so I don't know what was going through his head. But it was not a cool name in school. You can imagine all sorts of jokes. I've heard them all, including the one you just said. <laughs> oh, so I wasn't original at all. No, um, you know, I've had 8-track, I've had DVR, you know, all that. What button do I push I like to turn you on? All this kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> well, did you know that my well, my good friend TV Alexander is the only other TV on IMDb besides you? So that, no way! I didn't even yeah, know there was another a, TV. Uh, designer. Yeah. Um, okay, so last question for you. Does yeah. Arachne still wear shoes? She does not wear shoes. So has that song about shoes been cut? It has, famously so by oh. now, actually, yeah. It has gone, gone, gone to the Broadway depths of souls. <laughs> <laughs> but not the souls of shoes. Uh. No. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> TV, thank you so much for doing it. You can see TV Carpio and Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark at the Foxwood Theater, 213 West 42nd Street. Uh, opens June 14th and previews now. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank Thanks a million. You. Thanks for taking the time out. All right, take care. Bye. You too. Bye. All right, that was TV Carpio. Um, and uh, next up, we've got Nick Gaglia coming up. Um, so... Uh, be sure to check out, uh, follow Blazing Rye on Twitter, follow John DeMar on Twitter, and we can uh, figure out who, uh, and, we, and we will let you know who's coming on next week, the week after. We have a pretty big announcement coming up very soon, and hold off on it right now. Um, so our next guest is Nick Gaglia. He should be calling in in a moment. Um, in the meantime... Let's see. Let me uh, break you off with our last night's guest um, with the song Your Love. Tom Getter Slack, Your Love.
uh, with Nick Gaglia, filmmaker who's had quite a, a life so far for such a young man. Um, it'll be a fascinating story that he'll tell. Uh, he has some films about his life. Um, and uh, it's all about addiction and rehabilitation, and and not not your normal kind of rehabilitation either. It's quite a quite a disturbing sort of violent story about um, how he rehabilitated himself from from drugs. It's not your typical Betty Ford clinic. Uh, so we're we're waiting for Nick Gaglia to call in. Nick, if you're listening, you may call in. Um, and uh, this is. Tom Getter Slack again with uh, Should've Known Better.
Matisse did say the uh, the M word for the Scottish play earlier, the, the way that these uh, technical issues seem to be running today. Uh, apologies to anyone um, who uh, is waiting for Nick to uh, appear on the show. I'm trying to get that situated right now. Um, uh, yeah, so let's see. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to, I've never done this before. This will be interesting. Let me try, uh, try calling someone on, on here. No, no, no. Let's see. All right. <laughs> this is, this could be very fun or a complete disaster because I'm going to call someone who doesn't know that I'm calling him. Mm-hmm. Hello, this is Nick. Hey, Nick, it's it's Ryan Holmes. How are you? Oh, hey, Ryan, what's up? I um, I'm I'm actually on the air right now, and and so are you. Uh, is that okay? Uh, I guess so. Okay, um, because if it is, be doing me a big solid because I'm waiting for my guest to call in, and uh, he still has not called in. So just wanted to uh, see what's going on in your life and share it with the world. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. All right. Well, uh, right now I'm 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 watching the Mets get slaughtered by the Pirates, which is you know kind of depressing. <laughs> what's the score? Uh, it's seven to three. Seven I'll tell you, to Pelfrey, three. Yeah, Pelfrey gave up seven runs in three innings. Really rough. Mm-hmm. Really rough outing. He got some encouraging well, signs from uh, from from Beltron though. Josh Beltron? No, Carlos Beltron. Was there ever a Josh Beltron? I oh I don't know. I mean, who who would he play for? No, I'm thinking Josh Beckett. Beckett You're right. Plays for the Red Sox. Yeah, he's really good. Um, much um, better than uh, Mike Pelfrey. Uh, that's debatable. That's debatable. No, it's it's really not debatable. <laughs> What's going on in the French Open right now? Uh oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not really paying attention because I don't really care about the women's uh, semifinals. But the men's semifinals are tomorrow. And you got like I think Murray versus Nadal and Federer versus Djokovic. Wow! Quite a star-studded foursome, you know. Wow, that's and that's tomorrow. Uh, yeah, it's tomorrow at eleven, I think. A.M. or P.M. Uh, A.M. Oh my goodness! What day is tomorrow? Oh, tomorrow's Friday. I'll be at work. No good, bro. No, that's terrible, right? No, you can't. You can't. You got to watch these matches. They're going to be awesome. And you. Listen, oh, uh, 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 uh. What's nope. What's your problem? I just thought Angel Pagan might have had a three-run home run. Huh? Made this a bit of a game, but he didn't do it. Oh. You know what's nice, nice about having a guy named Angel in your outfield is that you can actually say that there are angels in the outfield. Well, at least an angel. <laughs> like that Christopher Lloyd movie, you know? That was a great movie. 
you know, it was part of that whole like burst of uh like small boy terrible team uh like mid nineties baseball movies. <laughs> like rookie of the year. Like rookie of the year, yeah. The uh, the best of which was the um uh, the Sandlot. Because that didn't actually have to do with any sort of a, uh, uh, you know, professional team until the very end when, you know, it was Benny the Jet. Well, you know, that's the one I never saw. You never saw The Sandlot? No, I saw all the other ones, but not The Sandlot. I always hear it's fantastic. Oh, that's the the best one. It's great. You didn't like Rookie of the Year? I like Rookie of the Year. It's fine. I mean, it doesn't like I loved it when I was a kid. I thought that that um, funky butt loving line was the funniest thing. <laughs> funky butt loving. Yeah. Funky yeah. butt yeah. loving. Yeah. And they were like, "Did he just say funky butt loving?" And then you're like a ten year old kid, and you think that's hysterical. <laughs> I mean, it's still hysterical. No good. Yeah. Yeah, you know who's really funny in that movie? Um, oh, shit. No, I can't remember his name. Uh, yeah, he's, he plays the pitching coach. Um, he's really, okay. Daniel Stern. He's really funny in that movie. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, the voice of yeah. Kevin Arnold on The Wonder Years. Yeah. yeah. Daniel Stern. Yeah. Really? All right. Oh. Well, I'll tell so, you what, uh, Nick. Um part of that. Huh? What? What? <laughs> Never mind. Okay, so I think we have our guest now. Um, thank you so much for uh, for for coming on uh, with no notice whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> All right, buddy, give us a sports update later on with the Mets game. All right, yeah, yeah. Nick Evans is up, so you know, turn on the game. Oh, awesome! But that's debatable. It's debatable. Thank you. Bye. Okay. And we are now joined by Nick Gaglia. Hey, how are you? Hey, how's it going, buddy? How's it going? How are you? Good, good, man. Okay, this is Nick, right? Yes, Nick, Nick Gaglia. Okay. Oh, is that how you pronounce the name? Um, okay. So, uh, Nick, you're a uh, you're a filmmaker, and your uh, your first feature over the GW was based on your your own unique experience in in rehab. Can you tell people what it was uh, wh- what that was like? Uh, it was loosely based on my story, uh, but it's basically about uh, two kids from the Bronx, uh, teenagers who get put into a drug rehabilitation center in New Jersey. Uh, their mom wanted to help them get sober, and uh, this place, uh, uh, it was marketing genius, claimed to uh, be the only place in the world that could cure people from drugs, and if they ever left, they would die. Um, so their mom put them in the rehab, and they were systematically brainwashed, tortured, brutalized uh, for two and a half years. So that's basically the film. Yeah, did you? So that is based on your experience. Now, to to go into that sort of unregulated uh, rehabilitation, that must have been pretty 
tough for you as such a young young guy. Uh, yeah, I mean it. It definitely uh, it definitely wasn't enjoyable. <laughs> uh, the, the, the 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 uh, protagonist in the film isn't me verbatim. It's a composite of characters and personalities. Because there are other de- there, there are things that I didn't experience uh, that other people did that I thought he, sh- he should represent. But uh, you know he's very much my story too. I had to uh, I escaped when I was 17. I had to escape to get out of there. Um, the character in the film doesn't escape, uh, so the, the narrative uh, takes a, a little bit of a different path. And uh, the protagonist in the film is 17 as opposed to as opposed to 14 when I really went in there. And uh, the reason why I did that was because I uh, met this uh, brilliant young actor named George Gallagher, and uh, I just thought he'd be perfect for the role. And uh, I felt he could emotionally bring the experience without having to be 14. Uh, it always gets tricky whenever you're working with kids and uh, you know having to get tutors and stuff like that. So we were able to avoid yeah. it on this one. That's good. So that worked out. Um, and uh, so since this movie is uh, was loosely um, based on on your life, not verbatim as you say, but uh, what? Um, h- how did you get into that world at such a young age? This the um, into a, a drug addiction by the time you were thirteen. Uh, you know, I think, and you know, anywhere you go, there. There are drugs around if you want to find them, or even if you don't want to find them, especially especially for teenagers. And uh, I, I just happened to be someone who uh, fell into it. Um, I wasn't the biggest drug user. I was, uh, you know, smoking weed and uh, I was drinking. And I, I think um, I'm not a parent myself, uh, but from doing research and uh, speaking to uh, other parents, uh, I found that. When kids get to puberty, it's already a daunting experience for the parent because the, the kid's changing, and especially if it's their first kid, they don't quite know how to deal with it. They're not educated. So if you take that and you put drugs and bad behavior on top of that, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be smoking crack or heroin, but just you know, drink, drinking on weekends, smoking weed, uh, bad, bad behavior, acting up, cutting school. Um, that, that could be pretty. Uh, that could be pretty daunting, uh, you know, on the on the frontal units. Um, so I think my parents and a lot of parents in that situation have that add-on stress. Yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're really desperate. Um, so your parents were to the point of desperation where they put you in this this uh, unregulated rehab facility. Do you hold any animosity towards? towards them for the, the stuff that you had to in, endure while you were, because clearly a, a teenager who's drinking and smoking weed is not, I mean, it's, that, that's, that punishment doesn't fit the crime. You know what I mean? Right. Well, let me, uh, let me take a step back a second. Uh, my parents didn't know the place was unregulated. Uh, like I said okay. earlier, these places are, are marketing geniuses. They'll tell the parent, each parent is different. No two parents are the same, but they'll, they'll give the parent whatever they want. They'll lie to their faces. Uh, Whatever they right. want to hear. This is this is Oz. This is a play. You know, this is this is Disneyland. Or, or you know, there are some parents who want to see their kids. Uh, you know, endure like tough, tough, tough love. 
And uh, if, if that's what they want, they'll tell them that too. Um, so my parents absolutely uh, did not know uh, that the place was unregulated, uh, first and foremost. But uh, uh, second of all, to go back to your question, if I have any animosity or resentments, uh, I mean, I know my parents loved me, and whatever they were doing, they were doing out of love. And uh, they were just dealing with the, uh, the tools and the education they had at their disposal at the time. So for me to sit here and uh, um, and hold a resentment towards them, I, I feel they're very much uh, the victim, just as I was. They they were, you know, they, they were brainwashed uh, as well. Right. Um, okay. Uh, so this this film, you know, you, you managed to take uh, a negative experience and turn it into something positive and artistic and. Um, this uh over the GW this was actually the uh the first sort of under the radar uh feature to um to get a distribution deal at the uh the Slam Dance Festival, right? Yeah, we uh I I uh I submitted to Slam Dance on a whim because uh I knew unlike other festivals uh if you didn't get in one year you could submit the next year. Uh, whereas uh, a festival like Sundance, if you submit one year, you don't get in, that's it. So, uh, and I always wanted to play in Slamman, so I was always a big fan of the festival. And uh, uh, I knew the deadline was coming up. We weren't finished shooting the film. Uh, we weren't finished uh, uh, editing the film. We, we didn't do color correction. We didn't have sound design. We didn't have music. Uh, so it really wasn't ready to be seen. But, uh, you know, I, just something in me said, hey, you know, what the hey? If we don't get in, we could just submit again next year. So I sent it in, and, uh, you know, sure, sure enough, we got accepted into the film festival. And uh, after our first screening, we were actually the very first film to play at the festival. We are scheduled. And, uh, you know, after the screening, uh, the Q&A went on for long. They had, to, uh, they had to shut it down and ask us to continue it outside. I had a line out the door and uh, distributors coming up to me asking me for the film. And then... Uh, so we, we decided which uh, distributor was the best fit for us. And uh, afterwards, I was speaking to the, uh, the, the uh, one of the founders of the festival, and uh, he told me out of uh, at that point the festival was going on for 13 uh, years that it, um, we you know we were very much under the radar film. He said the volume under the radar films that are played here, I don't think any of them has, ha, have ever received a, a theatrical distribution deal after its first screening. So we were very honored for that. That must have been an incredible experience. Yeah, I mean, we were just, uh, you know, we were just through the roof. It was, uh, you know, so surreal. And, uh, I mean, for me, it was it was just extremely important. Uh, I mean, it's such a personal story, not just for me, but uh, the place I, I was in, there, there are places like this all over the, the country, all over the world, really. And, uh, you know, I felt a responsibility to everyone who's ever endured this uh this uh, type of dynamic or, or any kids who might go into this place in the future unbeknownst to their parents and uh, have to endure the, uh, the pain and the PTSD. I, I just felt the responsibility to, uh, you know, I, I felt like, uh, you know, I wanted to create a voice here. I wanted to raise uh, awareness and I wanted to do it in the, you know, in the, in the means uh, that I know best how, which is uh, filmmaking. Absolutely, and I guess to, to have people uh, 
resonate with it so much that night uh, must have been pretty vindicating for you, especially given the uh, what you had endured um, while you were in rehab. Yeah, I mean, I for me, um, for me, it was always about the uh, I call them survivors. I call myself a survivor. I hate the term, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know who labels people like this as survivors, but I mean, that's what they use, so I'll just use it. Um, but you know, I want. It was so important for me to make the experience something they would understand and something that they would be able to show to their family members or kids or parents or significant others and say, hey, this is what I went through. I just want you to understand a, a little bit more because for myself and for other people, uh, you know, it was such a strange dynamic with the brainwashing, the thought reform, mind control, physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, um, that it's so hard for uh, people to wrap their head around, uh, heads around um, that I felt like, Having to having to displaying this in a visual medium would somehow help people to better understand uh, what we went through. And uh, I, for me, uh, the real reward was uh, about a year and a half later, the film uh, the film was uh, brought up and discussed in a U.S. Uh, congressional hearing, uh, trying to uh, pass new legislation to protect uh, kids going into these uh, private institutions. Um, so, and did that yeah. legislation get passed? Uh, went through Senate, and it's up to the uh, it, it's up on uh, the president's desk right now. So you know, we'll see. Oh, all these things take time. It's uh, you know, it's baby steps, yeah. one step at a time. But everything's moving in the right direction. Well, that's that's great. So you're um, you also uh, have a film Nick called Aaron Bacon. Uh, what is? Uh, can you tell us what that film is about? Yeah, the, that was my follow-up to Over the GW. It's uh, my film. GW took place in an institution. It was a long-term uh, uh, rehabilitation. Uh, so that was one side of the coin. I felt like there was another side of the story that I wasn't able to tell in the first film that I, I thought was important to get out. And uh, it's uh, these wilderness camps. They uh, they uh, they function in the same capacity as uh, the place I was in, except they're out in the desert. And where the place I was in, people could be there in two, three, five, ten, thirteen years. Uh, these types of places, people typically weren't there longer than thirty, sixty, ninety days. And uh, Aaron's Aaron's story, I read about in a, a book called Help at Any Cost by Maya Salvis. And uh, uh, the second I read it, I, I knew I had to make this film. It was uh, based on a true story about this kid who was put into a wilderness camp at 16, and he, he was uh, brutalized, starved for 30 days. And at the end of the 30 days, he died. So these places aren't just um, uh, brutalizing and hurting and abusing kids, but they're actually, in a lot of cases, killing them, taking their lives um, based on uh, uh, neglect and, uh, you know, malpractice. If you, uh, one of the counselors uh, in the, the program that Aaron was in took a picture, a Polaroid of him, at the day he died, before he died, before knowing that he was going to die, um, just to mock him 
And uh, if you've seen this Polaroid, he looked worse of the worst Auschwitz. He was so emaciated because they starved him. And I ask you, how can you, as a counselor or a human being, watch someone go through such a transformation and not do anything about it? That's scary. Yeah. Especially when they're set out to help people and it's, and they're they're killing them. Yeah, I mean, I I think some of these places really don't care about. I mean, the you know this drug rehabilitation industry is a billion dollar industry. There's a lot of money to be made in it, and I think a lot of people are are, are trying to profit from it. And I also <laughs> think you know there there are perhaps some people who, who uh, le- legitimately are trying to to help kids. Um, but you know they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I remember uh, right. when Oprah. I remember when Oprah, she opened, uh, you know, so, you know, she was abused when she was little. It was her dream to open up a, a school in Africa to help out underprivileged girls. And uh, I knew because of the structure of the school at that time, that it was only, which kind of mimicked the place I was in. I knew it was only a matter of time, a matter of time before we started hearing uh, complaints uh, of, uh, of abuse. And sure enough, three months later, uh, uh, stories came out of, of the, the girls there being uh, physically abused, sexually abused in, in some cases, and uh, you know, I, I, as far as I know right now, she she straightened it out, and uh, I don't know personally, but uh, I know of the person that she's kind of hired to to get things in order. So I, I think things are going well there now, um, but uh, it's scary. Uh, you know, you could have the best intentions, the worst intentions, but if you are uh, you know, running uh, an institution in a, in a certain way, um, it, it leads the police subject uh, to abuse. Yeah. Um, Nick, we actually have a question out of the, the chat room uh, from Nicole. She says, I heard a lot about these camps and kids dying years ago. Has there been any legislation on them? So I guess uh, you mentioned before that when it comes to these facilities that that's on the president's desk. Is this something different or is that the same deal? Yeah, that's the same deal. I mean, the issue here is these places are uh, they're privately owned and they're privately ran, so that, that's why there's no oversight from the federal government. I mean, there's more uh, oversight on uh, dog training than there is on, uh, on these uh, programs. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the irony is that if what happened to us was going on in a home and the parents were doing that to their kids, they would be thrown in jail immediately and probably locked up for 10 years. Now, these places are doing it in these uh, quote-unquote uh, rehabs, and uh, they're able to get away with it, uh, you, know, 10, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30, you know, until, the, until they get shut down. Uh, if, you, if you look on YouTube, you could find uh, uh, Nancy Reagan. George Bush Sr., PSAs, clips of them, condoning the place I was in. <laughs> oh, my God. Believe it or not. Yeah. That's scary. Um, when you – okay, so with Aaron Bacon, you were you were able to premiere it in 35mm at the Shanghai International Film Festival. Uh, can you talk a bit about that experience in Shanghai? Yeah, it was uh, – Funny enough that that was the festival that uh, we uh, premiered at. It's uh, 
first of all, it's a huge festival. I think it's the biggest festival in Asia, and it's certainly the biggest thing going on in China at that time. Uh, if you're driving on the highways, it's the only thing being promoted for those uh, two weeks. Uh, they have huge red carpet events. Uh, uh, big uh, uh, Danny Boyle, director of uh, Slumdog Millionaire, Train Spotting. He was uh, chairing the international jury that year. Got to meet him. Very nice guy. Very lovely guy. I uh, really respect uh, the stuff he's doing for the kids in India. And, um, yeah, I found it interesting that that was the festival we premiered at. Um, there have been sprouts here and there in the U.S. of news reports, 60 Minutes here, uh, uh, you know, Channel 11 at night there. Um, but the news of these places hasn't really caught on in the States. And uh, I was asking myself, why was this film, Aaron Bacon, so popular in China? And I, I figured it out. It was because uh, we, uh, the U.S., were always pointing our finger at them for all their, uh, um, you know, all their crap that they're doing over there. So uh, I think any chance that they get to point their finger back at us and say, you know, look, look at all these. Look, look, the U.S. has human rights violations as well. Um, I think, uh, you know, they, they would uh, jump at that opportunity. Um, right. So I, I, our plan kind of was, uh, you know, let's start from the outside in. You know, let's make a let's make a stink of these things in the countries that 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 care to raise awareness about what's going on in the U.S. and then and then uh, you know take kind of take the U.S. by storm. Um, you know, these places they they still have trouble really catching uh, you know the, the, this news uh, in the U.S. Uh, uh, funny enough, I mean, uh, what did uh Obama say after the uh, the uh, the abuse in uh, Gitmo. Oh yeah, I could say without uh, uh, exception or uh, equivocation that the United States uh, does not torture. Well, I, I say you know, hey look, you know we're torturing our kids on our very own soil, so that that is incorrect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, that <clears throat> that's scary as well. Uh, so this. Uh, uh, meeting with Danny Boyle. Did, did you take anything from your conversation um, that you could use as a as a filmmaker yourself? Um, you know, that's a good question. I think uh, I, you know I, I consider myself a, a student of life, and uh, you know, in any situation I'm in, I'm always asking myself, you know, how can I learn from this person, good or bad, or you know what what can i learn uh, from the situation this dynamic and uh you know i think the biggest thing i, I took away from him uh, was uh, uh even more than the filmmaking was his uh you know humanitarian work uh which i have a great deal of respect for mm-hmm. and it being and, and it being more than just about uh you know film or art but you could actually uh, take take these things and uh create change in the world I think film is one of the most powerful uh, mediums that there are. Definitely. Um, there was a controversy over Slumdog Millionaire where it was alleged that the children were not being paid enough money and all that. Uh, so was there no uh, truth to that? Do you know? I didn't go into details about that with him, um, but I do know after – after Slumdog was made, and probably even to this day, he's uh, you know he 
he's been very supportive of uh, the kids in India. Cool. So uh, um, that, I, I don't think uh, I'm uh, educated enough on the topic to, uh, to to really comment on it. Right, right. All right. Well, um, Nick, we are. You know what? Let me just ask you: Are do you, are you, do you plan on doing any comedy soon? Any comedies? Um, yeah. I actually, you know, believe it or not, uh, about a week ago, I had uh, an idea to do a, a comedy feature uh, in a style that's never been done before, and it is hilarious. And uh, I think uh, if executed properly, it could uh, it could uh, catch on and be the next kind of fad, quote unquote. Wow. Well, um, but other than that, uh, the, but, uh, but any more than that, I won't go. I won't go into what it is just because okay. I'm going to under my hat for now. But uh, you know, Good certainly, uh, you know, I'll let you know if we decide to move forward with it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'd be curious. Um, we are going to play a game we always play on the show. It's called Hot or Hot Mess, where I give you a list of things in pop culture. You tell me if they're hot or a hot mess. Are you ready? Got it. Go. Here we go. Oh my God, who's a mess? He's uh, pretty pretty hot right now. Okay. Uh, how about Lindsay Lohan, hot or hot mess? Hot mess. Um, Snooky, hot or hot mess? Uh, believe it or not, I'm not familiar with Snooky, but I'll, I'll go by the game and I'll, I'll say uh, I'll say hot just because uh, you know I have to choose one. A fifty-fifty shot. <laughs> 50-50 shot. Um, yeah, she, well, she actually just ran into a police car that was escorting her in Italy. So, uh, so then I mean, she's super hot. That's super hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Kevin Smith, hot or hot mess? Hot. Hot. I have a lot of respect for, for what he's doing with uh, his new film, Red State. And I was actually in Sundance this year, and uh, the film is, uh, from what I heard from a good friend of mine, is excellent. So check it out. Yeah, I uh, cannot wait for that. And yeah, as you, we, we've been talking about distribution and, and uh, that they're doing sort of a revolutionary thing in that, you know, they're distributing in this film themselves after so many years of, of uh, having Miramax and stuff. So yeah, it's really uh, it's really quite interesting. Absolutely. So I would agree with your assessment of hot um, and. Uh, and we actually ran an ad on Kevin Smith's podcast last week that, that you should check out because you hear Kevin Smith talking about Blaze and Ride for three minutes, which is awesome. Oh, get out of here. Yeah, right on. Right on, man. Yeah, man. I'll have, uh, I'll have Jonathan send you the, uh, the link. Um, cool. And uh, let's see. Next up on Hot or Hot Mess, Miley Cyrus, Hot or Hot Mess. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know a lot about her, but I don't know if uh, there's anything that could qualify her as a mess at the moment. And if there is, I don't know about it. So I'll go with hot. Okay. There should be a third option, uh, um, you know, in the middle. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Those people tend to go with hot, hot mess. Or last night, Rebecca Lobey said, uh, mess, hot, hot. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go mess, 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 hot mess. There you go. 
<laughs> okay. Um, this is what happened when Jonathan DeMar and I did uh, the Broken Leg podcast. It's a Broadway podcast, and this is some of the chaos that ensued. Is this hot or a hot? I You know what? Uh, <clears throat> I would say that's hot and a hot mess. <laughs> Fair enough. Hot, hot mess then? Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Good deal. Next up, this is from Wicked uh, on Broadway, Ben Cameron's Neil Diamond. Impression. Girl, you'll be a woman soon. Hot or hot mess? That's great. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> And last up on Hotter Hot Mess, and girl, is, uh, oh, oh, nope, okay. Last up on Hotter Hot Mess, this is is Marquis beatboxing on our show. Hotter Hot Mess. I'll go. I'll go hot and hot mess again. There you go. Boom. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Usually that gets a hot, sometimes a hot mess. Last night it got a mess hot, hot, and today a hot, hot mess. So, I don't know. <laughs> I know what's going on there. Um, but uh, your films are, uh, can uh, people can go to nickgaglia.com. Are your DVDs available on your website? Yeah, uh, yeah. go to go to nickgaglia.com, N-I-C-K-G-A-G-L-I-A.com. Uh, my, uh, those films are available for... For purchase on that site, and uh, they can also be rented. Uh, check them out on Netflix and uh, pretty much uh, anywhere else uh, where you rent or buy DVDs uh, these days, uh, which uh, isn't a lot in terms of brick and mortar, but uh, you know, certainly on the nope. internet everywhere. Yeah. Well, awesome, Nick Galia. Thank you so much for doing it, sir. Hey, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Take care, buddy. Take care. All right, that was Nick Galia. Um, wow, what a fascinating story. Um, oh, Nicole in the chat room says, Dear God, that was a blazing hot mess. I can only assume that you were talking about our I Believe I Can Fly, me and Ben Cameron and Jonathan DeMar and Selena Carvajal and Paul Leshen singing all at the same time in quite harmonious, uh, no, I can't use that as an adjective here, in quite beautiful harmony um, or cacophony. All right, well, Thanks to anyone who joined the chat room. Uh, thanks for your questions, Nicole. And uh, remember to follow Blaze and Rye on Twitter for the updates. You can listen to Kevin Smith talk Blaze and Rye um, at the end of his Plus One Per Diem podcast from last uh, Thursday, May 26th. Blaze and Rye is proud to be a sponsor of the Spotcast Internet Radio Network. Uh, and um, tune in next week. We got some more shows, and uh, we're coming up on almost a year here. We started last year, June 18th, sort of by accident. And if you told me that I'd be talking to all these people within the course of one year, I would not have believed you. So um, it's it's quite a ride, and I'm having the time of my life. So holla, holla. Uh, remember, if it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. And lastly, somebody owes me a martini. <laughs>